I wonder how long we're gonna have to if we're gonna be doing remote pods for the next. How long do you think we will be doing this? But you said earlier it was the last one. <laughs> but you said it. <laughs> right, should we get the show on the road? Yeah, baby. Welcome to the You Never Forget Your First podcast, where we had 10 seconds of silence at the beginning. This has two minutes of mine. no reason whatsoever. <laughs> it was out of respect. It's a Friday night. We're all doing a podcast whilst everyone else is getting ready to hit the pubs tomorrow. I'm joined by Cool Center Sparrow. Bonsoir. I'm joined by Louis. I gotta get it out by midday. <laughs> Hello. Who has Thoriel as his background image on Skype, which is looking pretty good. Uh, I'm joined by Ben Ass, Mr. IndieWire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Still here. <laughs> B, B, low budget, N Ass. <laughs> the B stands for low budget. <laughs> I see that you and Sparrow are sporting uh, some blurred backgrounds on your Skype. Canon did sponsor us with a 50, 50 mils. So fifty <laughs> fifty. Yes, exactly. So our our respectable iPads and computers are rocking a solid nifty fifty pancake. I feel like for once Sparrow seems technologically ahead. I'm on I'm on the pace. I'm on the pulse. The zeitgeist. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> He's on a pace. How is everyone? Our last pod was exactly two weeks ago, the recording, I think. For real? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. How is everyone then? <laughs> Anywho! <laughs> <laughs> is it because everyone that got blackout drunk and nobody can remember the last two weeks? Is that it... might just be you. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'm sorry for it was the film podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought this was one of those cool podcasts. <laughs> The fans want to hear from you, Sparrow. How's it been? Um, the fa- <laughs> Cater to the fans. What do you have to say for the fans? Cater to the release the Sparrow cut is what everyone's asking. Yeah, exactly. Still working remotely, as as I think most people are. Watched yeah. a few films. Um, What'd you watch? You still still on your Malik hype? Yeah. So I've I've only watched one since then. So I watched two films since the last podcast: Thin Red Line, which we spoke about on the last one, and uh, Do the Right Thing by um, Spike Lee. Nice. Both, uh, yeah, both solids. Yeah, the th- Thin Red Line. I was going to say th- this sounds really bad, but it kind of remind. I mean, it should be that Nolan reminds me of Malik, but because I've seen more Nolan films. I guess Malik reminds me of Nolan. Well, yeah, I mean, there's definite inspiration there. Isn't it's there? mainly it's it's Hans Zimmer. Like, I think it plays a big hand. In it. <laughs> plays a big hands in it. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Sparrow has kept the whole thing to one movie per week, which is so organized. You have been on a solid movie movie watching experience, Sparrow. Yeah, it's mainly the Mal- I've got so I've got one Malik left, and it's the um, Voyage of Time. So it's a movie, but it's like a documentary nature uh, out of his whole filmography. Yeah, so he's done ten, I think. Wow. No, I blitzed wow. it. I love him. <laughs> I don't think anyone can blitz through Malik. I think oh. you, I think you're meeting the one man who has. I'm sure. <laughs> I beg to differ. Yeah. But yeah, no, no, it's been it's been a good uh, it's been a good journey. Speaking of Spike Lee, I just finished his masterclass. Is that any good? Yeah, he said a lot of things that I hadn't thought of. Um, he said a lot of things that I had. I think it was it's more the way that he says things that feels quite inspiring and and insightful. It feels like it's cut together from lots of different stage interviews because throughout one lesson sometimes it cuts and he's wearing something different but he's still talking about the same point so it's kind of a bit weird yeah quite quite a few of those have that kind of uh, thing going on like aaron sorkin david mamet 
at least these are the ones I've, that I've gone through. Martin Scorsese always wears a suit, so no no difference there really. Um, <laughs> so you can't tell what day it is. <laughs> it's just him in a suit. Um, and Ron Howard. Ron Howard. I want to watch his. His, his looks good. Yeah, his is like literally like a film student that kind of has graduated through every single film he's kind of done or been in. So mm. his point of view is very interesting. Uh, whereas like, you know, Spike Lee has kind of com- comes up out of like the guerrilla filmmaking side of it yeah you know his, mean? Was, his is more independent filmmaking yeah. base which was whereas, which is quite cool whereas ron ron howard like at an early early age he he worked with uh on american graffiti he worked with george lucas and stuff so you know this real hollywood system to his approach and then there's this massive kind of guerrilla new york kind of filmmaking to uh, spike lee's approach all relevant and all very different and i think um i think the more of them you can watch supposed to better is it similar to so Sp- i didn't realize it's spike lee would you say he's kind of obviously the films are very different but same sort of like approach as maybe the safties with the gorilla thing yeah a lot of it is like shooting without a permit yeah, but that's more early stuff, though. Like, obviously, the bigger the budget he got. His class is through the lens of the early stuff. So his class is through the lens of, like, if you just want to go out and make a film, like, this is the stuff you need to know. Versus, say you get given $5 million. <laughs> by, by Blumhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Has to get a mention every episode. Every episode. I guess it's weird thinking that it was two weeks ago that we met, because it sort of doesn't feel like anything's really changed just yet. I guess everything's about to, because we're, like, on the... We're recording this on the brink of everything reopening uh, we're on the cusp of independence day yeah <laughs> bill pullman <laughs> on the biggest uh yeah the biggest change yet i reckon is coming this weekend so i guess it will all feel quite differently quite quickly but um yeah i suppose since then nothing huge has changed uh been been watching a few things been getting really into the last dance oh nice and i'm on the last episode now so I'm probably going to finish that this weekend. So good. You basically like get from this whole series that he's he's a complete legend, Michael Jordan, but he's also just so easy to read. It's like there is one thing that makes him tick and it's just winning at all costs. So yeah, you could be totally um, And that also kind of makes him a bit of a dick, but I suppose a dick in a good way, like a, a dick in a way that's singular. There was a good part of that series where it came to a it came to a point with that stuff. If you don't want to play this way, then don't then don't play kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. kind of like just don't be here. Yeah, yeah. It's quite good because I guess it, it stays. It's kind of simple for the first half, where it's just like, oh, isn't it? Isn't it great that his his competitiveness like got him to the top of the game and got the Bulls to win and all that kind of stuff? And you just think, cool, cool, cool. And then it just it does start to then introduce the kind of the dark side of it though as well, which is like, what's driving him? How does that mm. affect his teammate? You know, how does that affect the rest of his life? There's also that bit where he where he's stuck in the hotel just with a cigar, and he's just like, it's not that great. Yeah, and what does that do yeah, yeah. beyond just the, the just the basketball court? Yeah, for sure. After games, they would all sink loads of beers and drink cigar and smoke cigars. <laughs> yeah, I, I and found it's the like... cigars a bit odd because they're like prime athletes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but apparently, but this is what I mean. Apparently, it's like a traditional thing. It's all yeah. dated, um, I think. But I with think cigar- it, it... cigars, don't smoke them. You pu- kind of puff them, anyways. But <laughs> yeah, also, but I'm pretty sure they still don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doing Ben Ass is like, it's fine. It's weed. It's not tobacco. Sure. <laughs> ben Ass is coming back with his with all the stuff from the slight episode. It was like. Yeah. It's not a gram. It's actually an eighth. <laughs> I didn't inhale. I didn't inhale. <laughs> but like uh, before, so the Bulls before Michael Jordan joined them, right? They were just cocaine, cocaine fucking circus. So you know he kind of yeah. I feel but like at least you can understand how cocaine them. would fuel a basketball game and like, a cigar is. Just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna make you wheeze. 
I do love how he goes on the golf course and he's just like puffing his cigars, just yeah. being like, I bet you on the next hole. I bet you on the next <laughs> hole. Constantly betting, just like. <laughs> so I was reading um, about cinemas opening and supposedly in the UK, um, which is different to some of the rest of the world, some cinemas actually recycle air from outside and you can figure that, you can inquire about what your local cinema does. But basically this is one of the reasons why people are like okay with going to the cinema because if, if it's recycled air, from outside then it you're not necessarily sitting in the same space as someone else yeah um, in the same way but yeah some of them are, i think just recycle air inside but i mean still if someone sneezes next to you you're not going to be like oh it's fine the aircon's from outside <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's from the outside True. um yeah. if someone sneezes you shouldn't worry because it's not it's not a symptom <laughs> funny enough some of the more the more i can't think of the names but some of the the ones which have slightly larger seats because the seats are larger more kind of luxury they are just more space they physically are more spaced apart so that they may have a bit less of an issue i mean i've never been to a cinema where it's been crammed but obviously you're not you're not a meter apart just a quick one so odin here in uk um they're starting from july 16th like i said and for example their lux kind of a lot of them have been gone through a rebranding basically and it's yeah. a lot of lurks and recliner seats and they are pretty spaced apart actually so there's like a, a good a meter and a bit and obviously guidelines are very blurry but whatever i do feel pretty confident going to those cinemas booking a ticket right now because obviously inception is going through a re-release 10th anniversary it is a fucking nightmare you can't do it uh but i also saw batman begins going back to cinemas which i mean that's awesome because that's 15 year anniversary, isn't it? Exactly. And um, there's been a lot of prints that, uh, this is all, for the moment, I'm talking about Odeon, but there's going to be a lot of like 35 and 70 millimeter prints going out. So Dunkirk, Interstellar, uh, Dark Knight's going, getting, a, I think, like a 70, maybe. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Why? Is it just because there's an absence of new films? They just know that people are going to go to the cinema and watch and watch them. British Film know. Board uh, granted a re release of 450 films. So. They did. So I did New read that. Hope, yes. So Star Wars New Hope is back in cinemas. That's right. Quite cool. And presumably yeah. that's partly because there's just not going to be many new films. This could be quite cool actually to see some see some like retro films. If the Deer Hunters out, I'm definitely going. I think it's a good move to kind of reinvigorate people's, you know, uh, uh, kind of people's love for going to the cinema yeah, and yeah. watching classic films. I'd be down. You know, because often you, when you go to the cinema, you are watching new releases. You're at the mercy of what's out. You know, whereas unless you're Prince Charles Cinema, which re-releases a lot of old stuff. Yeah. It's, I like the idea of there being a more regular schedule of old stuff that, you know, if, if you weren't alive in 1975, yeah, exactly. then you can go and watch, wasn't, you know, who, who wasn't alive then? whatever came out in 1975. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Interstellar, though, uh, so I watched uh, a Chinese film called Yi Yi from the year, Yi I think it's called, from the year 2000, which was really, really great movie, uh, Chinese film, almost three hours long, but it's about life and about this wedding that takes place and it's just really well written. Um, and then I also watched Contact, which is a Jodie Foster film from 1997. Oh, yeah, the MC McConaughey that. film. McConaughey. And basically, for people that don't don't know who are listening, this, this film is basically a proto-interstellar. So it's strangely has Matthew McConaughey in, although not necessarily in the same role. In fact, in kind of the opposite role. But yeah, it basically explores this... this um, researcher who listens to sounds out in space and basically makes contact with a with another i'm guessing that's civilization that was inspired by the fact that uh nasa did get a radio burst of that lasted about 13 seconds of like constant waves and that, yeah. that was around a similar time 
And so now you're mentioning McConaughey, and I think we spoke about this before. It feels like a prequel to Interstellar. It, it, do, it does feel like a prequel, and it's really cool to see two films come at a similar concept and be quite different. But, I mean, like we were saying, Contact is about the political fallout and the world fallout of of making contact with another civilization, whereas Interstellar is more about the kind of how rather than the why, I think. Um, like, you know, the actual physics of it although to be fair to contact i it it appears that it was as it was as bound in the physics of the time as it could be because it's it's written from carl sagan's novel he wrote who was a famous um physicist i actually know what his exact job title was yeah i really enjoyed it i it's been on my list for ages and i watched it i was like this is such a great film and it's definitely one of the better sci-fi films of the 90s yeah it's it's just the ending that uh pissed off a lot of people don't don't say because I was going to say, I really want to talk about it, but it's... No, no, <laughs> it's I'm, not gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to say it. That would be a me- my meta spoiler, as Louis once put it. <laughs> i got to give a shout out to the special effects, which I think Weta Digital, who did Lord of the Rings and loads of them, were had a hand in making some of the sequences because they look amazing yeah. for 1997. Like, they look incredible. McConaughey looked great in 97. McConaughey did look great. Actually, this is a, a interesting thing that Louis might actually like. They assumed in the film that Bill Clinton, who was the president at the time, was the president in the film reacting to what was going on in the storyline. So they took real clips of Clinton talking about... So I think at the time, a rock from Mars had landed and Clinton did a speech about it. Oh, and right. they took a segment of that speech that related to the narrative yeah, yeah. of the film. Yeah. And they digitally put the actors in like around him and basically they supposedly warner brothers never asked for permission to use the president in this film and uh, the white house were were very publicly upset about it but they never actually pulled the film but since then they've made it a rule that no one can use any president of any era or any time in a film as real footage um, but yeah, the, the film still exists and it's like Clinton does crop up a few times and it's kind of, <laughs> it's quite interesting just seeing it and it that's, does date it, which is the, which is the problem. That's yeah. those are clips of presidents and vice. Yeah, yeah. Like, is that just, be, is, is that to... I think, I think it's like an actual, in vice is more like a history lesson though. No, yeah, but, but, they, but they, show, they show the actual footage though of, uh, of real like, president. I th- I think the the point is uh, that you can't use that so like borrow context and apply it to your film. Um, so you can't manipulate the footage in a sense. So like what what Vice did, it just it explained the context beforehand. So it was like a history lesson. They would say Bush did so and so, and then they would run the footage. Right. Um, that's what Vice did. A lot. Yeah, it was in in, in contact. They so actually like made to fit with the narrative. Exactly. They put the the characters okay. in there or something like that. Also, apparently, yeah. what they th- th- I don't know if you mentioned this, but like apparently they took a, a line that he was talking about something completely different, nothing to do with like space or whatever. He was talking about Saddam Hussein. He was like saying, "I would encourage you not to inflame the situation beyond the facts. Let's let's deal with this on the facts. We're monitoring what has actually happened." The irony. That's, the that. that <laughs> that's one. He definitely, he definitely says that. There's a bit before where he says we're, we're, our ears are to the ground and we're listening, and and that's about the Mars rock. And apparently, when Robert Zemeckis, who directed it, heard him give that speech in real life, he was like, "Oh my god, this yeah, speech is perfect it. for our film." Fair shout. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? Whatever. Like the only reason people don't do it more is because they don't have the opportunity. <laughs> Sounds good, though. Dennis, you mentioned that you maybe haven't watched as much as you did on the last episode where you downloaded like the entire library of, <laughs> of Amazon Prime no. and watched it. Yeah, no, I've uh, been kind of 
kind of busy, but I did watch a few good films. Then I've um, watched all the films now. That's the problem. <laughs> struggling to find something. But a good film you have to move on to cats. that I'll recommend <laughs> is uh, a film called Sweet Virginia, um, which is with John Benth- Benthrow? Ben- the guy that played mm. Punisher. The Punisher. Yeah. yeah he's um, a cool, that guy. Sparrow's low key favorite actor. He's in me yeah, now. That film is so good. That film is actually really good. It's like. If you've seen Blue Ruin, you'd understand the pace of it. But yeah, it's obviously set in Virginia and stuff, um, US. One thing that made me think of him in a different light was the fact that he could play an actual, uh, actually the Wolverine. He, his hair yeah. in that film, he had a great massive ass beard. Not crazy big beard, but whatever. And Great big bushy beard. Great big bush beard. <laughs> um, and his hair was like, in. It, I'm not sure if it was coincidence or not, but it was like in, you know, the 90, 90s uh, cartoons, the hair that Wolverine had, which was like weird. Oh, it goes up. Yeah, yeah like up and down. Weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had the same hair and I was like, just give him fucking claws. He's right there. Um, and the other thing I watched was The Sinner. I've never watched it before. Oh, nice. I season like one. I like season one, yeah. I've seen some of season one. I joined in on season three, I believe. <laughs> season one is great. The thing is, it's great about The Sinner. Is, um, none of them, it's a bit like American Horror Story. None of them kind of like lean into the to the other. It's, it's all different, yeah. right? Except for the detective, Bill Pullman. He's brilliant. Bill Pullman is always brilliant. Like Independence Day, he delivers a great speech. What about Paul's reopening? But yeah, he's great in it. I'm trying to get into more TV stuff, mainly because films have been slow in release. Mainly because this is a film podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a TV podcast. It's interesting how lockdown has gone on. Our our talk about TV and, and watching TV has gone up. And I think Louis mentioned in a previous episode about the kind of commitment to TV and the fact that it's like a longer form thing and knowing that yeah. you know we're going to be in in at home for a while it does make sense that the TV watching it's a trickle has gone feed. Up. yeah you want to kind of get into something that takes time kind of it just doesn't cut it yeah absolutely I like, does I feel, like the, I feel like the quality of, of TV has has got better over the last like decade as in it, I don't know it, definitely I, I, I got the sense that you, <laughs> I mean 100%, 100% no, 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 but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with that statement no 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 <laughs> who's going to argue over there Fraser Fraser was peak TV <laughs> <laughs> I get the sense that it used to be TV. Um, people would aspire to kind of get out of TV and get into film. Whereas in the last yeah. nowadays, you get a lot of you, big film actors going yeah going back to going back to TV. Yeah, yeah. but you, yeah. You, you say in the last decade, but Sopranos was like what twenty years ago, a bit more. Two thousand and four or so. That's what every writer, once they saw Sopranos, they were like, TV is where it's going to be at. That's why like Nick P- Pizzolatto writer of true detective was like you know what i don't want to go film i want to go to tv because he's so and that's what kind of urged the next uh, wave of film uh, sorry tv uh which like madman and uh, and so on right because and that's why you have which is uh sparrow's favorite tv show euphoria that's why you have that because because of sopranos <laughs> truth in a way i've been kind of treating movie a little bit like it's a tv series and that like i just log on and watch a film that's on there that i like and yeah. then i just log on like a few days later and watch another film i had a skim on movie to actually see what was on there yesterday and two films which i recognize is that nymphomaniac one and two by lars von trier i knew you were going to say them uh, i saw them yesterday uh, jesus i think you would like movie sparrow yeah, yeah no what for anyone who's listening, you know, wonders what movie is. Movie may sponsor us at some point in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> not yet. 
because they only have 30 films per month. It's hand cured and one movie kind of leaves every day. So you can just kind of skim through the ones you want and stuff. Granted, they do a lot of like um, celebration weeks. They did at one point do a first films section. I was like, hang on. Hang on. We're going to have to get my lawyer, Louis Hanson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure you guys should be um, sponsoring by now. <laughs> should we move into the film of the week? Yeah, so far we seem to have extracted that film from, uh, from this episode. <laughs> oh. So we are, we're doing Extraction, which is the most up-to-date film we've ever done. This was released in 2020, a mere two months ago, I think, if that. This film was directed by Sam Hargrave, and the synopsis for it is, Tyler Rake, a fearless black market mercenary, embarks on the most deadly extraction of his career when he's enlisted to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord. Budget of 65 million. Who knows how much money it made because it's on Netflix. It's all about the subs, baby. It's all about the subs. So, yeah, this is a film that anyone can go and watch on UK Netflix. It's there for you to watch on any device, even an Apple Watch. Especially an Apple Watch. (laughs) What did we all think of this? I like the chase scene. (laughs) I'm I'm basically saying it was one massive chase scene. (laughs) I mean, that film, it it reminded me a little bit of um, uh, Rat Race. (laughs) We watched it a few weeks ago. (laughs) God, it's just one thing after a bloody another. We haven't really done like an action-led film on on the pod yet, and this I would say is part of the the kind of resurgence of of what John Wick, I suppose, kicked off, which is what people call the gung fu style films, basically kung fu with guns, <laughs> um, and like heavy stunts, heavy action, uh, plot. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, yeah. it's there in the beginning. <laughs> the beginning, it has a beginning. Yeah. Sure. The film did start when I pressed play. So that's, that's always a good thing. It has something going the, for it. The plot was the main bit. There's, there's hardly any action. There's like the old gunshot. <laughs> it's an indie movie. I enjoyed it in the way that you enjoy like a Christmas panto. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I thought I, I it don't was... know what you mean. <laughs> so what you're saying, Louis, what you're saying is you love Christmas pantos. <laughs> and you're saying that it's extraction just, uh... is the same level is it the same level of excitement excitement or are you saying it... are you saying extraction was a christmas panto because that it was all a dream but it's going to come up don't later. give away a theory yeah that's a... my point is that there was no nuance to it whatsoever right it's just uh there is bad there is good the good becomes bad the bad becomes good at the end from a character perspective as well i think so from from a craft perspective of of how it was put together yeah I'll agree i would say it, that's maybe where the nuance of the film that's really where the film was I and that's why i agree yeah, with right. dom uh, especially that if you if you watch kind of like the a few behind the scenes especially uh, hargrave gives a lot of interviews about how he did the stunts um mm. so obviously he's he's been a stuntman for years um, yeah, worked with. This is worth saying. Uh, worked on stuff like Atomic Blonde and he's uh, John Wick stuff. So um, and Avengers as well. Avengers, big time. He was he was Chris Evans' stuntman. Yes, right? um, and so this is kind of where the film how got to be because Russo knew he wanted to direct. They wrote a film. They were like years later, they wrote a film. And they were like, oh well, you'd be perfect for it because it's an action led. And you're a stuntman. We should say that the Russos are the, are the people who directed... Joe and Anthony Russo, yeah. 
Avengers, all the all the big Avengers movies, late the later Avengers films. Pretty much um, every, everything post Civil War, right? Almost, um, yeah. But yeah, so so that's how the film kind of came came to be. Uh, but what I found interesting about uh, Hargrave is much what I found interesting about the, the guys that directed the uh, John Wick series. David Leach and Chad Stahelski. Stahelski, yeah. Um, they all come from this kind of almost same as Quentin Tarantino world of uh, this Hong Kong cinema of big action scenes, uh, practical action scenes. Um, and that's what makes the film for them. That's uh, because their action scenes aren't just like pow, pow, you know, uh, kind of like the old Western where the gun goes up, a person goes down. This kind of... Mm. Through action, they build character, and that's their that's how they tell the story. That's how they tell the stories, and the big sequence, like yeah, the big their bigger sequ- sequences, uh, do kind of reveal layers of what the character is and how he kind of like grapples with the situation. Um, and that's kind of in almost mm. almost all of the sequences. They always like start with, for example, there's a scene where Hamzo's character Tyler Rake, um, he has a gun, and he then he kind of like uh, is f- fought to the ground. To the point where he has he has no gun, he has to improvise, and then he uses a rake to kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Oh yeah, that, that, there's the subtle nuance that you were talking about. I remember. Yeah. Well, it, That's the it's, it's, it, 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 he, push, he pushes his head slowly onto the rake, doesn't he? You got I raked. Found, <laughs> I found that interesting. That's another yeah, way. You got raked. There's a different kind of storytelling. You it's have a signature move, literally. Absolutely. Siggy <laughs> move. Siggy move. There is a. A way of building character through action and i think now we're talking about it a more if this was actually to go down how it would in real life maybe not to the extent of this many mercenaries and police chasing one person but yeah. the realist nature of the film is definitely there and i think it it might just be watching on netflix i think it is very easy for the casual viewer to to look past how how hard these stunts are to perform and how I agree with that. Amazing they really are when you actually watch them on a decent TV, maybe even the cinema, if cinemas come back, maybe it'll have a run, who knows. But yeah, yeah I think the, the stunts are mad impressive. When you think about other films that are maybe yeah. less about action and more about other things, you, I, you, you see how bad the stunts are in those. I, I, I thought it was, um, no, I thought it was great. Like I, I really enjoyed it just for, for what it, for what it was again, like, like classic tin job. I knew it was going to be like kind of mega action, not too much plot, but just really enjoyed it for what it was. And the, um, and yeah, the stunts, I put it right. Like, for example, I'd say like the born ultimatum maybe sets the bar for like fight scene stunts, like close up when they, you know, when two people are battling and it's like, I put it kind of on par with that. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a spare tin job. Yeah, it's a tin job. And, <laughs> and it was. No, I knew it was going to be like. A, it was going to be. And yeah. it, it was going to be an. A, it was going to be a, an action film with not too much plot, but the action was great. As someone who watches a lot of a lot of heavy films, and by heavy I mean just just very very rightly like dense movies, it was actually really nice to watch something that was an action film but wasn't like a you know it's nowhere near a b action movie it was had some and some of the best people working on it so so like he kind of described this um his kind of work on it which is so he comes from obviously a stunt background right so um he was kind of describing like if this film imagine if this film had no sound this kind of this is where the technicalities of this film come come in and that's where they play a big part which is Mm -hmm. basically so if you if the stunts were just kind of like on semi good or whatever um with like sh- shoddy sound because remember cap you have to capture the best sound possible during those fights meaning the boom guy has to be shaking you know dancing all, 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 all over the place he's like if it has bad sound or if it's kind of semi choreographed it's just bad theater 
because it still has to look like a film. So your your DP, your focus puller, your sound guy, everyone has to be in play. Uh, this uh, in play and be on on the ball, big time mm. to capture the right the right essence of what the fight scene is. Right. So uh, I think yeah, he's uh, okay. Did anyone notice that? I didn't know this, but in India you can't import guns, fake guns, uh, any any type of gun, basically, even if they're play guns. Um, so this was all done with uh, rubber guns, so no moving parts, so uh, nothing to do with airsoft. Cause, so I so didn't all know... the sound was added in after as well. But also, you don't get that, actors don't get the kickback from the gun that lets you know that they... That, so when you shoot someone, you go, it goes like... Ch- because you see it kick back so that other person can react but that, but to the bullet. If it was a rubber gun, you're just like... <laughs> also, more on the point is the actual movable parts of it. So uh, so on a gun, you would have a movable part, right? Usually the top handle or whatever, it would move back as it recoils. Um, so all that had to be done in post. So I remember watching his interview and he was like, um, so we had to do most of these actions. These had to be done in one shot, which we'll get on in a sec. But he was like... Yeah, so the reason why we did uh, one-shot scenes was like because we were running out of money. I was like, I looked at the budget, like sixty-five mil. Where, where are we putting all that budget? Unless Hemsworth really up the pay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like then, then he talked about like how it was rubber guns and then muzzle flashes, the movable parts. I was like, oh, post-production did a lot of this. I also wonder how much it was to shoot in in Dhaka, is it? In Bangladesh. When you're shooting on the street and it's that busy of an area, like how much do you have to close down? Well, he did, he did say that basically any like given day, they would have like 300 security personnel to lock down the streets to make, make sure that every human is accounted for. So yeah, a lot of this was done on location and hence why they couldn't actually just use, actual, not actual guns, but like at least airsoft guns. The Russos talking about writing it, they were saying that initially it, it, it was going to be set in South America. They felt like maybe that area of the world had been explored by various franchises, not to mention Fast and Furious, among others. I felt that refreshing. Because I'm on my Bavesh Joshi superhero. Uh, big fan. Uh, hype, hype at the moment. I'm I'm big in setting stuff in areas that I'm not used to or ha- I've never been. Yeah. Um, for me, it just makes it a bit more fresh and interesting to watch. Densely populated, right? So to have those big action scenes and or to have those close you're kind of always restricted to close hand-to-hand combat even when there's a gun involved so when chris hemsworth usually takes down bad guys they're usually pretty much like within an arm's length uh of of him right so he kind of shoots them kind of point blank in the face if if such thing john wickstar yeah exactly <laughs> yeah speaking of faces i think because it's funny yeah we're coming at this from different angles i think you're definitely appreciating the craft of it and i'm like deriding it's kind of it's it's like two-dimensional characters but and they're just different but but the faces thing is an interesting one isn't it how um you notice that all of the bad guys have their faces covered and it's yep. i think it's just it's just literally a technique so that you dehumanize the bad guys and you sort of humanize the good guys um my point on that one is because they're they are mostly stuntmen for example there's a scene in um at the beginning there where chris Hemsworth has been t- taken down to see the boy and he has a hood on. And so there's a roll down the stairs. And obviously Chris Hemsworth didn't do that. So he was like, that's why stuntmen exist. And um, so stuntmen did a lot of the graft on this film. And did you did you guys know that Sam Hargrave was, he was the sniper G in the film? That was him. On the, the second director. viewing, yeah, I did. <laughs> the thing is on the first viewing, I noticed that they placed decent sized importance on him because the first time they show him, they hold like for two, two three seconds. And I was like, okay, 
he might be interested interesting in this story but the point is he just kind of dies so i was like well mm. that, that kind of went nowhere but once you know he's a director, you're like, oh, so that's why he kind of placed the importance on him. I actually found it out because I watched an interview with him and he had the same huge beard that he does in the film. Oh, the same like, beard, yeah. Like, that, that was the same guy from the movie. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he's quite a small part in the film, the sound. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, he is. But he hold on him for quite some time. Talking about the craft side of it, he's quite a bit, as I think a lot of stuntmen are, they're quite big on, you know, I- I'm going to go and do the stunt and I won't ask someone to go and do something that I haven't done myself. Mm. And so as a director, he was kind of, if we're going to shoot a scene in a car where we're in the car and the car's going to crash, I'm just going to operate the camera. We're not going to put a cameraman in that car who, who yeah, yeah. isn't a stuntman. And because I was a stuntman, I'll just operate the camera. So like a lot of the times you see the shots when they're filming fight scenes especially when the camera kind of jades to the left or the right to show him kicking someone's leg or someone falling over that's that is him operating the camera which um and you know it yeah it's, it's just interesting to think about you know these they're not small cameras and they're not cool climates it's got to be a lot of hard work behind the camera just just even making this kind of film that's kind of like my point about like even the the smaller aspects of films that nobody ever ever thinks about which is like the focus puller right you don't even know this case guy must have been all over the shot that's what i, I mean this way. <laughs> he's in the buckets. corner just like stop moving around <laughs> stay the fuck still yeah can we just have one shot in this film where it's on a tripod <laughs> I can't say anything <laughs> yeah but even the same with the boom guys like they, they had to kind of run around with the, and how crazy the action gets in that film is impressive for like the rest of the sound crew to, to be around or you know e- for the rest of the crew to even be around because like a lot of them would be improvs like a lot of action scenes were improvs because they would be like oh this doesn't quite work in the camera or whatever so they would change up left kicks for right kicks and whatever else um so yeah the fact that they managed to get the crew the whole of crew on board and to be like yo guys it's gonna be like a bit of a just follow me kind of thing (laughs) yeah it's impressive for sure I just found it so funny at the start when he was like, hold, hold my beer. And then he starts yeah. drinking. He's like, I said, hold, hold it. I said, hold it, don't drink it. <laughs> don't drink it. Oh, on, that, on, that, on that mad action scene, does anyone, and I don't know. Like, <laughs> what, what, the whole film? The, 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 one, the one really long uncut shot. Um, yeah, we should talk about this. The, the, the one. So, so obviously, so it's 10 minutes or so. So, the actors themselves would have had to learn loads for that one take. Then obviously the DP has got an intense job and so does the rest of the crew. But I just wonder how many times, because they must have rehearsed that whole piece, you know, to, to, for all to sing together. I just wonder how many so, times you have to, because it's so long, like for, as in for one, there's a lot that goes on. To my knowledge, it, it's one of these one, it's a, it's a one-er in the film, but there's obviously bits of stitches. it that are like or, yeah. or stitched like whip, together. Or like the whip pan and stuff. They, they... Yeah, the whip pan where they oh, kind of stitch stuff. Oh, I thought, it was also... actually, I thought it was actually one thing. I was like, that's but that, that's that's a compliment to the yeah. film if, yeah, it, if yeah. you thought that when you watched it it was made up of 36 segments yeah, yeah. so it's a oh, 12 okay. minute long scene of 36 segments of which each segment had 30 or so takes right of that thing so you can imagine and, and supposedly they he said they got to it because it was a budget thing yeah we either have to shoot this whole all these different little fight scenes or we just shoot them all as one take and it will be a lot but it will be less than if we if we constructed it as as multiple fight scenes, because he he did the one or an atomic blonde, didn't he? Which is 
Yeah, I thought it was a really, a really impressive scene. The, Probably the best scene in the film. Oh yeah, he did. Was that the the one where he, she kind of she falls down the Charlie Theron th- falls down the stairs and she she fights guys down the stairs. Genuinely, is is such an impressive piece of choreography. And yeah. I also think the Atomic Blonde one stands out because the cinematography in that film is is so good. Dead on, yeah. This one, I felt like it. They were in the car and then it they were out of the car and then it it well, it moves it moves on different people though because it moves on it goes from yeah. like Chris Hemsworth to the boy and then it might like there's one where it follows one of the bad guys for it you know it switches who it follows yeah. in that shot yeah which, which keeps it interesting yeah i think but you say that but then there's always blatant cuts there where they like move onto like a logo or some sort of like a fresh piece of uh, flower like, like the back like, of the policeman or something yeah yeah, yeah whatever like someone's head shot. explodes and it's like there's a, there's a stitch <laughs> <laughs> When they start, when it starts coming up, I wonder how many people are captivated merely by the technolo- technical aspect of, oh my god, that's where a stitch was, or that's where. A st-. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's some people that, that that like watching stuff like that because they want to see where the seams are. Whereas there's some people when it sounds like when Sparrow watched it, where it's just like, wow, I can't believe that was one take. Which- every time, thought- every time I see a, a like a one like that, like with filled with action stuff, I think of season one of Daredevil on Netflix's Netflix Daredevil where they did have a an in, crazy intense uh oneer and that was an actual oneer so not a stitched um but it was like set mm-hmm. in a corridor sm- small like imagine like a new york apartment kind of corridors so and it was like going from room to room to room and it kind like of the raid yeah yeah I, was, yeah I was about to say the raid is another film which is it's just a, that close contact fighting it did get a bit nuts at the end of the one when 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 chris Hemsworth got run over by or got hit oh by yeah, the car. yeah 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 and then fuck there was like a, a beat and then and then the other guy got hit by his, his truck <laughs> the film feels so realistic but then you have in that the aesthetic yeah but then you have that where it's well someone would just die if they it's got hit by dead. a car yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, but if you if you if you if you're gonna if you're gonna go down that line, it's like Hemsworth. The odds of him surviving that many people are, are slim. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you yeah. say that, bro, but Hemsworth, man, Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> this is Thor we're talking about. Yeah, yeah bro. I'm like, I'm like, really, really. I mean, really? anything is anything is possible. <laughs> but, no, oh, but there's, the realism, there's a, the realism is insane. A, but like, there's a thread of these films where they they like John. It's like John Wick, where like although there's mythology to it, they take place in the real world. My point being that there's there's quite a successful line of films like this. That I, I was going to say uh, about, uh, Nolan's Dark Knight, uh, where they like where he was changing suits. So from the Batman Begins to the Dark Knight suit, he's like, oh yeah, so this is reinforced Kevlar, and you'll be bulletproof now, bro. But a knife <laughs> will kill you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, <laughs> I was yeah. like, huh. Didn't think a soldier's life was worth 300 grand. <laughs> on the subject of Netflix and these films, I've heard kind of bad things about it, but has anyone seen Six Underground? And is that good action? Yeah. Well, I haven't. That's, that's I have Michael not. Bay. That is it's bold Michael action. Bay, isn't it? It's the have bay. you seen it, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is it so that that to me? I mean, I've not seen it, but that feels like a different kind of action altogether, so right? There is, That's more set PC. That is set PC, and that is Michael Bay. Do what you do best, and don't don't fuck the physics of it. <laughs> we'll just deal with that later. Uh, whereas this comes from a stuntman who has kind of like has this feet on the ground you know he's not like okay so when uh for example when a grenade blows up it doesn't blow up the whole side of a fucking house it just does kind of <laughs> poof thing that's all it is that's all a grenade does uh so that's what his approach to it whereas michael bay is like no 
one grenade will fuck up millions. Well, destroy uh, the city. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm interested to ask Louis, what did you what did you think of the one take scene? Did it did it even stand out to you as a one take? No, not at all. So hang on. So are we, are we talking about? I had an inkling that this was it. Like the first car chase. So like where it, it was gets... when it was when the police were chasing them. Yeah, and it was after like... the, the boat when when they when they when they when they, when they take the boat. So he then runs away and gets in the car. I did get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. It, like it, it's cleverly done i really liked the um you know the bit where the camera like goes from outside the car to inside oh, the car really... <laughs> yeah. like some seamless thing i totally get that that illusion supports the tension it like keeps it going it means you're kind of nail biting for longer because there's no convenient flip to the kind of like you know the, the resolution where you're sort of a few minutes later and everything's fine it's kind of mm. constantly ramping up slowly and and to be fair like yeah to to sparrow's point like that is that is what this film does well i guess you've got these really 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 long really long action scenes where um you're kind of you know you're following along and you're not really sure what's gonna happen and you know one I thing said, hold, i said another. hold it don't drink it mate yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know i feel like that's kind of all you get from this film do you know what I mean? It's spectacle cinema. Those quieter bits where they kind of had a bit more emotion, I felt were actually done quite well. And I kind of wanted to see a little bit more yeah. of that in order to develop the characters. That being said, you know, soon after that, you're back into the action. So yeah. there's a certain element of, of of like, what's the film going for? Is it going? Is it just going for enough plot and emotion to keep you invested and also chris hemsworth is like a really well-known actor that doesn't really need a, a necessary a, pe- a compelling character because that's he why is... they picked him because obviously he's a big old brute this film doesn't go for characters here like uh for example the i forget the dude's name but you know the guy that was in charge of the kid and then he goes to see the prison into the prison for the father but basically he's like oh yeah um so it's gonna be expensive to get your kid back he's like well it's not about being expensive uh well i'll need an army hire an army but then instead of hiring an army he still doesn't he just goes solo and then fights off an army why didn't he just hire an army his dad literally gave him permission he tells his wife it's like he can't afford it and he's like yeah but he just told you to pay for it he just yeah. he just gave you the money i think one of the issues i have maybe with with okay so chris hemsworth hemsworth character i, I love that i'm like trying to engage on this because that's definitely <laughs> yeah. not what this, this film's about but his character's only kind of interesting thing is he sort of says yeah his son died and and his it, it, he he kind of escaped it all in this cowardly way by just kind of like diving into warfare right yeah so he back like into action volunteered kind of yeah so basically he's saying that his fatal flaw is that rather than dealing with emotion he just, he kills, just kills people like he's he goes into like action i don't see any redemption from that in this film just <laughs> like in this film he wants to look after this boy and his like his way of doing that is just blowing up bridges but he's, like, to- he's told but i mean he he's told to leave the boy like he could have left him and gone and gone yeah but i don't get the sense that was ever his problem like My i don't po- think he was this sort of like stone cold guy who didn't care about people's lives <laughs> I think I got the sense the problem was that he was addicted to action. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and, and actually choosing to save the kid just meant more action. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't like, you know, it, it, the, the, the problem didn't match up with the solution in any way. A bigger gripe would be, um, so, you know, when he's like, um, why the fuck would anyone just jump into this suicide mission? Why would you? I need the money. His- I thought you were going to say one of the biggest emissions was 12-year-old kids being like, I'll see you at the club in 30. Yeah. I was going to get onto this. So this one, now, you're dumb. You're more versed with this one because you've seen that superhero film I haven't. 
It's in Pavesh Joshi Zupero, which it is set in Mumbai, so it's not set in in Dhaka, but in in Pavesh Joshi, yeah, it feels like there are younger kids doing okay you know more adult things okay so, so i don't know my, like, no no like, my point with see this you guys at the club in 30 is my point <laughs> <laughs> my biggest point with this is it's fine cool have those kids go to the club see them in 30 <laughs> <laughs> do we gotta do <laughs> but my point is once you get there why the fuck is not one drinking alcohol or enjoying the adult life because it's a club, it's a club for rich kids. That's where they were. They're like somewhere sipping where... orange no, juice. But and some, like, yeah, that's why. So I mean, it's some, like, no, some are drinking beers and uh, slugging it down. A, as soon as I saw the bit, see the club at thirty, I was like, okay, this move is not going to make sense. Then I saw the kids <laughs> at the club in thirty, they weren't making sense. And then I saw the kid <laughs> after thirty being <laughs> shot up outside of the club. I'm like, yeah, this film is not going to make any sense. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we've extrapolated a lot from that from that one shot of the text of C at the Club in 30. Um, Sam Hargrave, he was talking about how the film is a bit of a throwback to 80s action films. What that means is that, like, this is a stone-cold protagonist who who goes around kind of killing people and doesn't react to it, and we don't hang on the morals of that. If that's what, st- like, eight, re- throwback to the 80s means... Yeah, then fine. But those films in the 80s had the whole aesthetic of that era and the type of storylines of that era that made it very yeah. of, of that era. Whereas this this is quite a serious like 2020. Maybe, but it doesn't but it's but it but it's also very like blocky, isn't it? Like there's no there's absolutely no um allowance for anything that's actually going on in the world in 2020 or even any of the themes that are actually going on in 2020. Other than the fact that this was a Stone Cold protagonist, I, I wasn't knowing where the kind of throwback to 80s thing was landing because also there weren't yeah, any yeah, it's throw it. necessarily cheesy one-liners. Yeah. No, I think the point he said, throwback to the 80s, if you remember those films, they were so action-filled that it was just action. You didn't need a good plot. I, I feel that this has more in common with John Wick than it does with any 80s film, other than the fact there's full action, which John Wick has anyway. Yeah, but John Wick is in itself is a throwback to the 80s 80s and 90s Hong Kong action, please. So it's not necessarily to Hollywood that does act, that you know does True. try to uh, comment on the, the situation of that time. Uh, whereas Hong, Hong Kong was kind of, uh, Hong Kong cinema was kind of like just set in as like good action pieces, practical action pieces where guys actually did roll out of a car. They didn't need like be placed on a mat or whatever, you know. So it would. I think he was speaking more of that aesthetic. But there's an. In- I I was going to pose this to everyone. There's an interesting thing on that, which is a lot of those films from the area you're talking about of Hong Kong action cinema. The cinematography is quite stunning on some on a lot of movies from that era, and the cinematography here weirdly felt like it was kind of absorbed. It didn't like there were some amazing wide shots of um ducker and like this amazing skylines that i've never seen before but i whereas john wick was very stylized so it had stylized action so it did have bigger much more cuts imagine like liam neeson trying to jump over the fence in taken three yeah whereas this was like great scene great scene 13 takes um but whereas this was just they did try to be in the scene with the character with the scenes kind of give you that excitement of the scene whereas john wick is great because it's filmed beautifully and it looks like fucking roger deacons lighted it but you know it, it wasn't as intense as some of the scenes were 
Like some, you went with the guys here because a lot of this film was handheld. By the way, it's worth saying that it's one of Netflix's most best performing films I'm sure. ever. I'm sure there is a thing like there is the phrase like mindless action. Like sometimes people just want like a heavy, heavy action film. They don't like they don't care about some like deep, deep plot. I'm not I'm not saying that is the case with this, but like some like there is definitely things like I don't don't want to I don't want to know about like the Godfather or whatever. I just, just want to I just want to have something like loads of fighting and just switch off. Like a lot of people want it's that sort of for film sometimes, not for yeah, no, but not for I, a, you know contemplation. And to be and to be fair with this, like it's the best of that. Yeah, it's like the action is so well choreographed and put together. Yeah, no, that no, it's, I agree. You know, Thanks. What did everyone think of the ending? Because I've got a, well, it's part of my theory of the ending. Yeah, I I didn't mind it. I I I don't really mind ambiguous endings because at least it kind of makes it interesting. No, no. Well, <laughs> what would you do? What would you do if the sequel started and the pulled focus to the guy in the background and it was just some random dad <laughs> that like was <laughs> just like. It wasn't Chris Hemsworth at all. It was like well, he was holding a beer. Shall shall we move on to our? Um, actually, sorry. Before we move on to this, we were gonna say a little bit about stunt Oscars. Yeah, but because please, Oscars don't have a stunt category. I was gonna say the most recent news on this was that when Brad Pitt did his Oscar speech for Once Upon a Time, he mentioned a shout out to the to the stunt crews and. It's the it's the most dangerous of the all of the all categories. Like you're not gonna die. Well, you may do if it's there's too many burgers or whatever. If you post in, if you're sitting in post, these guys are you know a they're testing testing the the big pieces that put the films kind of almost sometimes glue the films together. And there's there's the whole thing of like a lot of stunt performers choreograph a lot of the performances, so they put way more effort into this film than. A lot of people see so much like costume department which obviously they start uh they start prepping costumes and hair and stuff like that way before uh, shooting starts right but they get the, they get uh, an award why shouldn't the stunt performers get an award either and um, the last scene a lot of stunt performers have lost legs and arms like in mad max stuff uh, and uh i mean tom cruise would be probably up for it every year i guess <laughs> but still i feel like it deserves a nomination absolutely i feel there should be a category for it because it's so integral to so many types of films you know stunts and and, uh, and yeah there's no greater cost than giving your life to try and get a shot so yeah i mean it should be awarded something right i disagree yeah, i think sense. it should be something just maybe a small award and just put it in the adverts with cinematography i think so like <laughs> like on a back page a back page of hollywood reporter or something like that <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm joking. No, no, I agree. It's 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 surprising that it doesn't get more recognition. Actually, that's the thing. Let, I wonder why not. I guess the thing not... is, is partly like how would you judge it? Would you judge it based on the quality of the action in the film that they were in, or would you judge it on how the dangerous their individual stunt. stunt was? Or yeah, like, I would know. I would say on the on no no the... which one? It's not, it's not a yes or no question. <laughs> yeah, I would just judge you, bro. Just judge yeah, it. How many? How many do you want? <laughs> yes. Um, no. My just point ju- is, it's be, it'd be hard to do it by talent. Wouldn't do, you, it? do you do you think that's because it, someone judging it should be a stuntman, like somebody who knows no, or no. might know how hard that was to actually pull off? I guess no not was... necessarily. I suppose it's more just. I mean, I don't really know enough about it, but I suppose if you were going well, to award you, that, you'd, how want do you... To, you'd want to award the individual talent of the of the stunt person who did it. 
but that it's very hard that never really becomes comes clear through the film itself it's true actually there's a little bit of ambiguousness to it because i remember i was reading about sam hargrove he he wanted to be a director then he became a stunt coordinator but his way of directing was pre pre-filming all of the stunt scenes with so essentially guys, directing yeah. the, the stunt guys and obviously what the stunts that you see in the film are a result of that so even yeah. though he might not be doing the stunts he has in fact created yeah. The stunt, you know, this guy falls here, then this guy falls here, then this well, guy falls up. You, you could probably quite easily do one for like stunt coordination. So like the best sort of overall, you know, stunted film. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> in, well, in a yeah, better yeah, way, yeah, yeah. rather than no, an individual yeah, no. stunt person. It should be done the, the, the way that producers are done, right? So on a film, you have producers, of, uh, like let's say Joker, you have whatever producers going on there, right? So the best stunts on, let's say, Joker, or the best stunts on Fast and Furious, whatever the films are. And the because stunt crew, the, the core stunt crew isn't always that big. It's usually like four or five guys, right? So if for uh, the best produ- produced film or the best picture goes up the whole team, I think it'd be easier, like, yeah, have the whole yeah, team go yeah, up I for agree. it. You know what I mean? You'd, you'd have to do yeah. it as a, as a whole yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 not not as an individual yeah but yeah yeah i mean jesus buster keaton did so much for for stunts right well genuinely tom cruise does does do a lot i mean in a lot yeah. of the mission impossible films but can you climbing. imagine he's the wrong yeah climbing. can you imagine if like the, the first the first oscar for a stunt person goes to like tom a cruise fuck sake. <laughs> they're like yeah, fuck's yeah. sake <laughs> <laughs> We just can't surely the, 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 the subject, the, the difficulty of um of kind of choosing the criteria to judge it by, does that not apply to all like all the Oscars? It's all kind of subjective. Like like take in on a serious note, like cinematography. It's like you know, what what is better cinematography? Like La La Land or The Godfather? It's like well they're completely different. It's like well I prefer this one. It's like I mean it's what is the criteria that you're measuring on? I think it's probably that it's just like, it's not so much that it's not, it's subjective. I think it's more that it's not very visible. So like. A stunt person, like a stunt person doing, the thing is, it's like being, it's like an editor. It's like, it's a thankless task. And that like, if you do it wrong, it's very obvious. If you do it right, no one notices. Yeah, it, yeah, but, but the thing is, mm. so let's say you're saying about cinematography, right? Yeah. So the, these things such as cinematography is voted by the rest of cinematographers that are accepted by the Academy, right? So if you accept yeah. stuntmen into the Academy, they'll pick the films uh, or they'll have their films picked for them, but then they'll be able to pick what's the best. So stuntmen pick uh, the stuntmen or the stunt crew, much like choreographer, uh, sorry, not choreographers, cinematographers pick the best cinematography, directors vote on best uh, directors and so on it's uh, it's voted by your peers it has to be always voted by by your peers point being that the criteria isn't subjective because it's by people who are in the industry exactly. doing exactly the, the, yeah. the peers that do the same thing you do and that's the criteria they understand the criteria yeah. so that's the point i think that's that's what the end game is i suppose but yeah. for everyone else i agree there is still an le- element of subjectivity because it's like you, you you undoubtedly in the first year of doing it will get five say five or six entries that are like amazing and it's like how can you not give this guy an oscar for being in an exploding car is it that iconic <laughs> scene where it does that you know yeah do you think there's maybe a bit of a danger that if you made it a no. Oscar category stunts would yeah, get people... more and more dangerous <laughs> yeah yeah i got bitten by a <laughs> python <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it'd be the, like... the most like po- posthumously awarded uh oscar yeah, yeah. Well, i mean i mean dicaprio didn't yeah, get awarded for category. like what 
fucking 20 years, right? So um, I think it, it would be the same. If you vote, voted by your peers or whatever, who the fuck else votes for these guys, um, then it would always be subjective enough for the people that do lose to be like, okay, fine. I, I know I know you were joking, but I mean, being half serious, like they're, they're already pumping out, you know, really great movies with stunts, regardless of there being an Oscars or not anyway. So, you know, even if there was a category... Yeah, it might fuel more mad stunts, but they're all, they're still doing a lot of great stuff now. Yeah, but imagine to go yeah, for, for like sure. the backwards backwards <laughs> route. <laughs> this man went back in time for this stunt, and you're not going to give him an Oscar. <laughs> it was all a dream. In other words, I would Sparrow. The fans want to hear more from you, yeah, but and I'm going to yeah. give the I'm going to give the fans what they want. Okay, I'm letting go. you reel off your iWatch, which, which I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna say, it was teased by Sparrow earlier to be quite good. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, well, I, I like to think so. So obviously, um, there's a conne- there's a connection with um with the Russo brothers who wrote or they directed Avengers. Chris Hemsworth plays Thor in in the Marvel series. Um, so my theory is that the main character, i.e. Chris Hemsworth, is Thor. But at the end, um, whoever turns up... <laughs> in the film, he's Thor. Yeah, in the film, he's Thor. But whoever turns up at the end is quite low-key. So it's not Thor. It's hey. Loki. <laughs> That's as good Was as it gets. Was your whole theory a pun? Your whole theory is a pun. I love that. Your whole theory is a pun. You actually went there. Your whole theory is a pun. That is the most that's ballsy, that, one of the most ballsy the, iWords we've had. That's the theory. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, that works. Louis, Louis, aka head of iWord over here, is absolutely killing himself over that one. Why didn't I think of it? Um, I believe it. Maybe it is Loki at the end. It is Loki. (laughs) In in a lot of ways, that would make sense for a sequel. (laughs) And in many ways, it wouldn't. (laughs) In so many ways, it wouldn't. Benas. Okay. Sam Hargrave, being hungry for the directorial seat, decided to come up with a perfect setting where his stunt skills and camera work could flourish. So, whilst on a break from Captain America Civil War shooting he travels to india where in the club he meets ovi now knowing that he's a regular user of the phrase see you at the club in 30 he knew that he could kidnap the kid there and then the russos hear about the story halfway across the world uh write the script for this and then hire sam to go directing so why did he take it no not because he wanted that to direct anymore but because he was in deep shit whilst he was clubbing <laughs> clubbing it up and on top of that he needs to stage a rescue for Ovi that lives in his bathroom so now he has a plausible reason for the kid going missing but also means for rescuing him from his own bathroom whilst covering it all oh up God. as a movie apparently he's doing the same he's doing something similar for Mandalorian season 2 <laughs> <laughs> Sam Hargrave has has directed this episode of Mandalorian season two. Yeah, or he's helped out in some capacity. Uh, Um, Yeah, he'll be doing that. So, so wait, hang on. Your your theory stems around the fact that. Well, for a start, it's, it's built out of the one phrase "see you in the club." You're saying that Sam has has kidnapped the kid himself in order to provide a story for a film that he would direct. Yes, that is hilarious. Plausible and entirely plausible. I thought so too. I think when you when you said he met Ovi and realised that to see you in the club in thirty was actually a thing. <laughs> <Is that you? laughs> You lost me, but I'm, I'm somehow with you. Uh, but, by the way, Dominic, you kind of inspired me doing this one. 
<laughs> we'll see you in the club in 30. Yeah. <laughs> I love how that's going to be. That's going to be the biggest takeout from this film that we have. Um, that's the main that film. That was hilarious. I feel like you did a, a dom on monsters and just said that the real thing actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it was staged. <laughs> All right, mine. Um, okay, let, let me explain mine. My mine sounds heavy, but it, but it. Well, I don't it know. Really we'll is. see. <laughs> we'll see. So, okay, so water comes up a lot in this film. Oh, here we go. The, I, the idea of water comes up quite a lot, right? So, my theory is that Tyler is an ambassador for climate change, and the film is actually about water levels rising around the world. And the the, the obvious stuff, right? The, where the film's set in Dhaka, it's polluted and extremely overcrowded. That's just a given from the shots that we see of the film. Um, but we we know that water levels rising is the real issue in the world. Water for Tyler Ake is something that pulls him in, right? So you've got the like, hold, you know, I said, hold it, don't drink it, mate, scene at the start. And then he jumps in the water. He's not afraid of the water, but he knows the power of it. That's why he stays underwater after he does that jump. In a way, maybe he's going to commit suicide and not go up to the surface, but he knows that water is a powerful subject. So it, it, him possibly committing suicide foreshadows that if we don't do something about climate change, water levels will rise. <laughs> the boat gets taken over by evil guys, right? Again, water is evil. We're seeing like a connection here, right? Tyler even gives away his water bottle to the kid when he rescues him. Tyler knows the power of water. Water is the giver of life. He gives the kid life by giving him water. Tyler even mentions how good he feels after a shower when they go to the house. And he's like, that that shower was amazing. He could be a spokesperson for Greenpeace. That's a separate theory. In, they're in the, when they're in the sewer together, they both hate being down there, right? They hate the water. So at the end, <laughs> at the, we're going to get to the end of this. This is why Tyler knows that water is going to get us all and why he ultimately leans back and just falls into the water because he knows it's it's futile. He knows that climate change is coming. He knows that water is going to kill us all and he's just going to give himself into it now rather than in 10 years when it's going to happen. At the end, when the kid is underneath the water mimicking what Tyler does at the start of the film, that's because the kid now understands the impending doom of climate change. The ambiguous <laughs> ending is that when he comes up from the water and sees Tyler, are they going to do something about solving climate change or are they in fact just going to go on another action rampage? So basically, <laughs> my theory is that Tyler, that, that the movie itself is an ambassador for climate change. Wait, wait hold on, hold on. That, if I got this right, your theory is that is that Tyler Rake, aka Chris Hemsworth, aka Thor, is aka fucking Aqua Bro. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. He could be. In this film, water comes up enough to give it a, give it a plausible amount of a. Uh, you don't dr you don't drown by falling in the river, remember? Exactly. Exactly. He mentions it. It's like the, you drown you, you by might staying well, submerged. Yeah, you might as well say uh, copyright Greenpeace at the end of that. Oh. So <laughs> I'd like to say the depth of this uh, of this um, theory is is inspired by Louis's uh, <laughs> the depth to which Louis has gone on <laughs> on Love Actually and Shrek. It's about fifty percent pod, fifty percent I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, I kept mine short and sweet this week because uh, I thought we were doing a kind of truncated episode but basically my theory um, and I think it, it's pretty sound is uh, everyone thinks that the reason why the police are after Chris Hemsworth is because they're in the pocket of the, the drug lord in Darker. I think actually it's because he doesn't pay his uh, coffee bill at the beginning when he first gets to Darker. <laughs> 
so he gets to Darker and he's having a lovely coffee outside in this little cafe. And then he gets oh, yeah. a phone call and he, and he, he gets just walks kidnapped. Off. And he just walks <laughs> off. And up until that point, up until that point, the police aren't anywhere involved. They're just like the police. But after that, that's when the police join forces with the big bad guy and they come and get him. So I think all of the movie's ills could be have been fair. solved by just paying his fucking bills. Are you, are you saying that when the film comes out on DVD and someone rips a scene to YouTube, that someone's going to slow it down and yeah. in the audio you'll hear, why didn't you pay for that cappuccino? <laughs> and, and that's when the sirens start. <laughs> yeah. That scene, uh, Louis, I think you're onto something because uh, at that scene... Um, Chris Hemsworth's character, Tyler Rake, is having a second cup of coffee in Dhaka. So yeah. one is He's bad enough, second one, <laughs> one causes for a fucking <laughs> army, bro. I know, right? Are and you, that's why they bundle saying, him in the van. Are you saying that in uh, the in the sequel, when it starts off, they're going to go to the cafe of the swimming pool and just get up and walk away <laughs> from two frappuccinos? <laughs> My sort of my sort of my sort of add on theory to that is that the guy who cuts off his finger is works at the coffee shop, uh, <laughs> and he was the waiter that got cheated out of his out of his bill, and that's why he's determined to go and get the Australian dude. Quick question: We later find out that the, the crime lord has got a p- deep pockets for the coffee plantations <laughs> in Colombia. <laughs> this guy, this guy didn't pay for an espresso. Yeah, he just owns the cafe. <laughs> I love how you were like, this is just a small kind of silly theory and you've somehow unraveled the mystery <laughs> of this film. <laughs> Hidden depths. It's worth saying that the film is adapted from a graphic novel, which I think the Russos developed in conjunction yeah. with someone else called uh, Quidad? Dad? Spanish for City. I think the graphic the graphic novel thing is that it's an interesting point though because the um for example Watchmen by Zack Schneider obviously it's based on a comic and I think he does like a really, a really good, a good job on that. But um, I think uh, this might be wrong. People said that it's the sort of film that couldn't be made into a film, as in before it was made. And then yeah. similar, similarly with um, this isn't based on a comic, but Fury Road, Mad Max. It's not based on a comic, but it was basically. You correct me if I'm wrong, Benas, but it was heavily um, what's the word? Storyboarded. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a very. It's so a what, very visually. So what, what I'm saying is those two films, which are like great action films basically built off um they're built more off the images than a script so okay fine yeah but uh here's a here's a good point that hargrove pointed out uh so in in cinema obviously sound is big right this it's a 50 percent if not more sometimes um so mad max could work on mute it could actually work on mute you you will understand a story and so could you hear but what you want to understand here is the stunts which is the the biggest kind of thing here so the cracks and you know the the, the gunshots and the, the small things that you you would kind of take for granted here they have the biggest impact especially like for, for uh, at the beginning yeah it's not a spoiler here um yeah at the beginning where tyler rake's character is kind of like kind of trudging on obviously he- heavily beaten but then that kind of bullet sticks in and you know it's almost deadly now like it gives that guttural feeling that this is kind of the end now. So Mad Max, that fear road works really well on that level, mainly because it doesn't need that many like gunshots. It, it, was there any guns? I don't think there were any guns there. It was very visceral in the sense of the how the trucks were going and how the whole energy was you know, kind of... It's just, a, it's just a vision, that film. Yeah, yeah. So it's a... Yeah. Whereas this was more, it was a vision, obviously, but it was more kind of rooted in the stunts and the stunts and, the real work and in front, right in front of camera. And it's literally kind of just wants you to put you in the the main character's seat. Yeah. 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 
Um, we will do John Wick at some point because John Wick is a first. And yeah. although he shares a lot of DNA with this, I feel it's quite yeah, similar, but it is quite different. But John Wick, this is a singular film, right? John Wick is what a franchise now. Yeah, it's been- true. Well, this might become a franchise as well. You never know. Extraction, extracted, and extracte. <laughs> extract. Extractor. <laughs> Ex- extracts. Yeah, I'm an extractor. Abstract. Um, extraction. Abstraction. Destraction. Destraction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Conception. There's a, there's a <laughs> distraction. There's definitely a sequel in the works on one of these titles for sure. We're edging closer to a real life pod at some point. I don't know if it's going to be the next episode um, or the one after that, or even the one after that. But it may be the How one. About the one after that. Uh, maybe it's okay. a maybe it's a maybe it's a solid maybe <laughs> whenever um, whenever it is it's gonna be a, a risk worth taking i'd say cool we're gonna extract ourselves out of this episode and uh so yeah. <laughs> all right guys uh meet you meet you at a club in 30 yeah <laughs> yeah hold, hold the place in the queue let's go buy from sparrow who's gonna get drinks when he gets there yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's goodbye from Benas. He's going to be out back smoking something or other with someone. <laughs> goodbye from Louis. He's going to be in the accounts at the back of the club, swaying that the money hasn't been the balance sheets haven't been balanced. <laughs> and, uh, and it's goodbye from me. All right, see you guys at the club in thirty. <laughs> I'm here. Where are you guys?